I'm Nick Harvey-Doyle, a Ngunnawan man from the northern tablelands of New South Wales. The Yarn podcast is made on the unceded land of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Bunurong people. We'd like to acknowledge First Nations people as the first storytellers. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. From the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, this is The Yarn. I'm Thomas Phillips. This week, we're bringing you three stories about neighbours banding together, either to help each other out or unite against a mutual adversary. It's the first episode of Hyperlocal, our new series about the big issues impacting small communities in Melbourne. In our first story, Philman Ho reports on the St Kilda volunteers helping their neighbours reduce waste by repairing household items. It's a rainy and windy Sunday in the seaside suburb of St Kilda. Local residents are waiting in the Port Phillip Eco Centre in hopes of getting their damaged item repaired. The repair cafe's fixes could repair anything for free of charge. They're made of volunteers who are highly experienced or professionals in their fields. These sessions happen on every second Sunday of the month. It's one of thousands of repair cafes around the world that aim to reduce the flow of salvageable items from going into landfills. I came across Daisy, who's from the United States. She told me she stumbled upon the repair cafe entirely by chance. Um, I heard about the repair cafe from um, someone I met at a bar who used to volunteer here, and I thought it was a really cool idea, and this is, my, um, this is the first time I've ever gotten to come in. Not wanting to throw an otherwise perfectly functional table out, she came to the repair cafe as the last result. I, guess, um, I tried to contact the, repla- the company for a replacement part and they were only selling new tables. This is like a camping table. It's disappointing when a company that's meant to be outdoorsy doesn't help you, you know, fix a part or it makes you like buy something new. Um, so I really wanted to try to do it a little bit more sustainably. Stacey is one of the thousands of visitors that founder John Hillow has seen in the past six years. He's responsible for coordinating the monthly session in the St Kilda chapter. Um, the first one in Melbourne was in Yarra Vale, uh, Yarra, sorry, over the, over the river. Uh, I volunteered there for a little bit uh, and realised that there was a need for another one on the other side of the river. He said the COVID-19 pandemic had made local residents more hesitant to attend the repair session. Ran during COVID a bit with online sessions and so on, but it uh, wasn't hugely successful. And it's gradually building up again now. Uh, but it may be that people yeah, are still a little bit nervous of you know, coming into crowded places. To date, this repair cafe has fixed over 700 items and prevented over 2.1 tonnes of potential waste sent to the landfill. I asked John what he sees for the repair cafe in the future. The bigger picture in mind would be that this didn't need to exist. And, you know, ultimately, that's, that's what should happen. Uh, fixing is the normal again. I mean, it used to be when I was growing up. What's happened more recently is that we just moved into this time when people don't bother to fix things, they just throw them away. And it's you know, really sad because it means that those skills aren't there anymore and it means people don't know what to do. The thing breaks, they throw it away, go and buy another one. I want to stop that. Sarah, a training general practitioner, echoed the same sentiment. She said that's precisely the reason why she decided to volunteer as a clothes and accessory mender to put her skills to use. But it's also really nice for me to use the skills that I have to help other people to renew things that 
they have in a in a throwaway economy treasuring things and patching them up is really satisfying to be able to like turn something that's like broken into something lovely and usable again that was phil and ho next jerome de pro reports on the residents of docklands taking action against a noisy nightclub since opening in October last year, the floating club ATAT has been the subject of noise complaints from Docklands residents and an ongoing investigation into the issue by the Melbourne City Council. At a community forum in March, residents shared how the noise had affected their lives. All we can hear is... Being my ability to enjoy a peaceful survival in my own home has been negatively affected since October. I now have a situation where what I would have classed as a medical condition has is now disabling. And though residents say nothing has been done, a spokesman for ATAT said that they're trying to address the complaints they've been receiving. We take it seriously. It's, it's an issue that we know is there and we're working with council to do everything we can to try and improve the situation and, and try and ensure that what we're doing is right long term. Uh, so to begin with, that was getting noise testing done at all the noise sensitive areas um, and having elements installed. That was at the council's request, so we did that, um, and that's that's the noise level that we've been operating to. Obviously, since then, they're still concerned that it's it's causing issues with local residents. This is in addition to plans to relocate ATET to the western end of the wharf, overhaul their sound system, and put up barriers for the sound. But other residents don't think ATET is at fault. Greg Cockerell, a Docklands local, gave me his perspective. I don't really have a problem with um, ATIT as it is, right? It's not their fault. So although they were less than um, collegiate when they first opened, the real issue here lies with the uh, Melbourne City Council. So the Melbourne City Council disregarded its own planning laws when it issued the planning permission to put ATIT in place. It didn't think about the ramifications for that. And now... They've got the cheek to actually say, well, it's now the EPA's problem because they set noise limits. It's akin to stabbing someone and then saying, well, hang on, this bloke's bleeding over here. Regardless of where the blame lies, tensions in Docklands have been high. And one night in late January... Police have launched an arson probe after a fire destroyed a controversial floating nightclub at Docklands. Well, it was definitely suspicious. Um, there's, There's no... Little doubt around that. We don't know. We don't have any confirmation on what the motive was. So we would only be guessing. But yeah, it's no doubt as to it, it being essentially an arson attack. Today, residents are still waiting to hear the outcome of the council's investigation into ATET's noise levels, the police investigation into the fire, and to find out the future of Docklands. That was Jerome De Pro. In today's final story, Amelia Costigan looks into a new vape shop that's causing a stir in the suburb of Kensington. On the leafy streets of Kensington in Melbourne's inner west, a new vape store has caused alarm in the local community. Located directly opposite a primary school crossing and advertising lollies and drinks, parents are concerned that children are entering a retail environment where they have access to illegal vape products. Cassie Skirgit is a Kensington mother who knows firsthand how addictive vaping can be for young people. I've got two 
I've got two sons, one's 22, one's 19. And my 22-year-old, he would just occasionally do like a social cigarette when he'd go out with his mates. Um, but now he's like vaping, he buys one every week down at Kensington. It's a situation she fears many young adults are experiencing as vapes become increasingly accessible. I've lived in Kensington for 19 years and we used to joke about how many, you know, hairdressers, how many burger shops there are, you know, all of those things. But now there's two vaping um places that you can you can purchase them from and Kensington's too small it's just a little village strip. But not everyone in Kensington is concerned. 24-year-old social worker Amelia Hale lives and works in Kensington and isn't bothered by the small business which also sells snacks and drinks. It doesn't concern me but it's I think it's random considering there's like lots of families and like there's quite a lot of nice cafes and nice shops along that strip so it just feels like a bit out of place but it doesn't really bother me. While some research into vaping rates in Australia say more than a third of 12 to 15-year-olds are vaping at least once a month, the National Drug Strategy Household Survey found that current use of e-cigarettes among the same age group was actually close to 1.8%. I think when vaping first became like more popular in Australia, a lot of my friends vaped, but now like definitely not. Like It's almost like a funny thing if someone has one, like it's not very common. Professor of psychology at the University of Melbourne, Ron Borland, has written extensively on the impacts of vaporised nicotine products. The impact of vaping on long-term health is likely to be very, very much less than that of smoking. Um, The amount of toxins that you take into your body as a result of vaping are estimated to be less than 1% of that you get from smoking. Professor Borland said that new proposals to ban all non-prescription vapes in Australia will result in young people returning to smoking tobacco. The core of the problem is, I think, partly making them illegal here makes them a kind of fun fun thing and attractive to, to kids. In early May, Health Minister Mark Butler announced a crackdown on vapes entering Australia and said the tobacco industry was trying to create a new generation of nicotine addicts through vaping and that he was determined to stamp out this public health menace. Ken's Vape Store declined to comment for this story. That was Amelia Costigan. A massive thank you to Philman, Jerome and Amelia. The yarn is from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. It's produced on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Our executive producer is Louisa Lerne. I'm Thomas Phillips. See you next week. 